Thanks for tuning in today. You're listening to the official podcast of First Alliance Church in Great Falls, Montana, creating passionate followers of Christ. Today's message is from lead pastor John Reese. This Christmas season, we've been going through a little series on the characters of the Christmas story, and I'm sitting here trying to think, what should I preach on on Sunday, uh, Easter Sunday, I mean Christmas Sunday morning? (laughs) When you work as hard as I did getting ready for this, you get really mixed up, okay? (laughs) But, uh, you know, I I thought, you know, we could do uh, the innkeeper, that didn't seem appropriate. We could do the donkey. He had a hard job. You know, he had to carry Mary all the way to the stable. I haven't found him in the scripture yet, but I think he was there. (laughs) We could talk about the star, but that, that would be, it's hard to describe who he was. And I thought, you know, why don't I talk about the most significant player in the whole Christmas story? You know who that is? God. And so this morning, uh, I have tackled no small task. I'm going to explain God to you, okay? (laughs) I actually want you to turn your thoughts, you won't need your Bibles for this, to the most well-known passage in all the Bible on the incarnation of Christ, John 3.16. And my prayer is that you won't let the familiarity of this passage rob you of its thunder. Paul Tripp, in his Advent book, begins the book by saying that familiarity does bad things to us. Often when we become familiar with things, we begin to take them for granted. When we are familiar with things, we tend to quit examining them. Often when we're familiar with things, we quit noticing them. When we're familiar with things, we tend not to celebrate them as we once did. He says, familiarity tends to rob us of our wonder. And here's what's important about this. He says, what captures the wonder of our hearts will control the way we live. He says, let me give you an example. Pretend you move to a new neighborhood. And the first morning when you take your dog for a walk, you happen upon a beautiful municipal rose garden. And although Fido's yanking at his leash, you just stand there, blown away at the display of early morning beauty that's before you. You can't wait to go home and tell your family what you discovered, and you're so excited about taking them to see it too. But as time passes and you walk past that garden day after day, something happens to you. Within a few weeks, you walk by without stopping, and in a few months, you don't even notice the roses anymore. He says, familiarity has done this to you. And what you once celebrated, you now don't even notice. He goes on to say, sadly, many of us aren't gripped by the stunning, magnificent events and truths of the birth of Jesus anymore. Sadly, many of us are no longer gripped by the wonder as we consider what this story tells us about God's character and his plan. Sadly, many of us are no longer humbled by what the incarnation of Jesus tells us about ourselves. 
He says, we walk by the garden of the incarnation, but we don't see the roses anymore, of grace anymore. Our eyes have gone lazy and our hearts have grown cold. I know how easy it is for me on any given day to forget who I am, he says, and what I've been given in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Other things have captured my attention and my allegiance. Other things rise to levels of importance in my mind way beyond their true importance. And when other things capture and control my heart, little room remains for wonder and worship. Familiarity, he says, often means that what is very important may no longer have an important influence. That's the danger we have when we talk about a passage like John 3.16. But, but I want us to take a fresh look at this verse this morning. I want us to think about what this verse reveals to us about God. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And in this series, we're focusing on one characteristics of the different characters in the Christmas story. And this morning, I want to talk about the thought that God gave us his son. It was his gift to us. He loved us so much that he gave us the greatest gift that could ever be given. A great sacrifice to himself. He gave us the gift of his son. As a father, uh, there have been times in my son's lives that were, were very difficult for me. And a day in each of their lives that was especially hard for me was the day I dropped my boys off at school for the very first time. I remember with each one of them over the years watching one after another of my boys from behind as they walked up that endlessly long sidewalk to the schoolhouse for their first day of school. And and they always seemed so small and vulnerable with their two big backpacks on going into the school. You know, for parents, that's a traumatic moment. And after several years of protecting and nurturing these little people, sending them off to be molded by strangers is hard. You know, it's so hard for us as parents to do. And I remember thinking as I watched them from behind, until now, their mom and I have been the primary shapers of these boys' lives. But now we're turning them loose into a world full of influences that we're going to have little, if any, control over. After leaving the school, I would usually spend the rest of that day wondering how they were doing, facing that gauntlet of new people (laughs) who they would probably be with for the next several years, and wondering what struggles they might have integrating into the pack, (laughs) wondering what injustices they might experience that I won't be there to protect them from. And each time, it was kind of a tearful moment for me watching my boys disappear through the intimidating doors of the schoolhouse for the very first time, turning them loose in a scary world. A number of years ago, uh, some of us here in the church, quite a few years ago now, attended Promise Keepers, uh, and we'd went more than one year, but this year, I'm think- the year I'm thinking about, it was at the Denver 
Mile High Stadium, you know where the Broncos play. And I remember the stadium was fairly full. There were thousands of men in attendance. And one of the speakers that year, I think it was Dennis Rainey, but whoever it was, he shared about the challenge of releasing our kids into the world. And I, I still remember for a, a visual, he had put obstacles on the stage and he described these obstacles as a minefield. A minefield in which one wrong step could destroy our children. And then he blindfolded his son or a guy representing his son. It's been a long time ago now. I don't remember for sure. And he talked him through this minefield, guiding them only with his words. And I remember thinking how true it is. Our world is a minefield of dangers. And there are many pitfalls that could destroy our families. And we as parents would do anything we could to protect our loved ones from the dangers of life. Have you ever wondered what it was like for God to drop his son off in a manger, in a stable, in the middle of a dark, foreboding world? <laughs> have you ever thought about what God must have felt as he watched his precious son experience the worst our world had to offer when he could have easily stopped it? You know, if you were God and you had the power to prevent it, would you let your son suffer the things that Jesus suffered? If you knew how those you sent him to would treat him, that they would turn on him, reject him, and eventually put him to death on a cross, no less. A cross was something reserved for common criminals. Would you still send him into our world? You know, we sit there at the beginning of our children's lives wondering, you know, what dangers and hurts are our kids going to encounter? And as parents, we feel so helpless protecting them from the pains of life. But with God, it was much worse than that. For God didn't wonder what his son was going to experience. He knew in advance all that his son was going to face. He knew the horrible injustices he was going to experience on earth, but he sent him anyway. When I was in seminary and Doris and I lived just outside of New York City, one night on the news we heard some shocking news that in nearby Washington, D.C., a plane heading for Fort Lauderdale had hit the 14th Street Bridge shortly after takeoff and ended up in the icy Potomac River. And it was a horrible accident. The death toll was 78, including 74 people who were on the plane and four people who were on their car, in their cars on the bridge who were hit by the plane. And there were only five people, four passengers and one crew member who survived, who were rescued from the icy waters of the Potomac River. Apparently, the plane had stalled and crashed shortly after takeoff due to the fact that it hadn't been de-iced properly and there was pilot error. And my question for you is, if you could see into the future and you knew in advance that that plane was going to go down, would you have put your child on it? Well, God sent his son 
from the protection of his heavenly home on a journey he knew would end with his life being taken in a very brutal and unfair way at the very young age of 33. And why? Why would God do that? Well, we all know the answer to that. God knew what his son would accomplish in his life. The reason God put his son on that plane that was going to crash was because you were on that plane too. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God sent him, his son, on a rescue mission to save you. But with God, it's a little bit different story than if we were the father because Jesus lived in eternity past with his father and they were in complete agreement about this mission. It wasn't just that God sent his son into the world, but Jesus willingly got on that plane, though he would die, so he could save your life. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. He laid down his life. He chose to. In other words, not only did God send his son, Jesus chose to come, and again, why? Because of his love for you. Jesus so loved the world that he came. He willingly got on the plane to save us. Max Lucado, in one of his books, asked this question. He asked, would you do what Jesus did? And he goes and describes it this way. He swapped a spotless castle for a grimy stable. <laughs> he exchanged the worship of angels for a company of killers. He who could hold the universe in his palm gave it up to float in a young maiden's womb. <laughs> if you were God, would you sleep on straw, nurse from a breast, be clothed with a diaper? I wouldn't, but Christ did. If you knew those who you came to love would laugh in your face, would you still care about them? Christ did. He humbled himself. He went from commanding the angels to sleeping on straw, from holding stars to clutching Mary's finger. The palm that held the universe took the nail of a soldier. Why? Because that's what love does. It puts the beloved before itself. Love goes the distance. And Christ traveled from a limitless eternity to be confined by time in order to become one of us. He didn't have to. And he could have given up any time he wanted. At any step along the way, he could have called it quits. When he saw the size of the womb, he could have said, that's not for me. <laughs> when he saw how tiny his hand would be, or how quiet his voice would be, or how hungry his tummy would be, he could have stopped. At the first whiff of a stinky stable, at the first gust of cold air, the first time he scraped his knee or blew his nose or tasted burnt bagels, <laughs> he could have turned and walked out. 
when he saw the dirt on the floor of his Nazareth house, when Joseph gave him a chore to do, when his fellow students who were dozing during the reading of the Torah, his Torah, at any point he could have said, that's it, I've had enough, I'm going home. But he didn't. Why? He didn't because he is love. Jesus, in describing his mission statement for life, said this. He said, the Son of Man comes to seek and save what is lost. And that's what he came to do. It was like he got tickets for Flight 90, knowing that by being there, he could save someone's life, even though he might lose his life in the process. On Flight 90 that day, there was a man by the name of Arlen Williams. And he died in the icy waters because he kept trying to help the other passengers get to the life preservers. If he was thinking only about himself, he could have very easily saved his own life, but he chose instead to save others. And Jesus, fully aware of what would happen to him, came to our world to save us. One day... Jesus, who was a storyteller, told a story describing the heart of God. It's a story about a man who loses a sheep. He said this, he says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others and go into the wilderness, go in search of the one that's lost until he finds it? And Jesus uses this parable to show us the nature of his love for each and every soul. It's a picture of the deep, self-sacrificing love of Jesus for sinners. It's a parable about how much God loves and pursues us. It tells the great links he's willing to go through to find us. The saving of sinners was the reason both for the cross at Easter and the the cradle at Jesus' birth. Scriptures often use metaphors to describe us, and one that's commonly used is the metaphor of a sheep. They've said in Isaiah that all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've left God's past to follow our own, and yet God laid on him the sins of us all. Sheep aren't very bright. You know, it's not uncommon for them to stray from the flock, to get themselves in serious trouble in a lot of stupid ways. Sheep are one of the most defenseless, easily confused animals that there are. When they're separated from the flock, they don't have claws like a lion to defend themselves, or teeth like a lion to defend themselves. They, they're not like a dog, which has sensory receptors that help them find their way back home. You drop a dog anywhere, it seems to find its way back home. They aren't like a deer that's very fast and can outrun many of its predators. In fact, if they get knocked over, sometimes they need help getting back on their feet. As one commentator put it, sheep are destitute, both of the instinct necessary to find its way home And of every weapon of self-defense, it is prey to any beast that it might meet. According to Jesus, that's who we are. 
defenseless, easily confused, often pitiful people. Outside Christ, we wander from one thing to another, seeking meaning and purpose for our lives. We're short-sighted, unable to look beyond our immediate desires. We find ourselves on one dead-end street after another, exposed to dangers which we can't defend ourselves. But Jesus considered no trouble, no sacrifice, or suffering too great to seek and find a lost sheep and bring it back to God. Gelden Heise says this, this is what the incarnation reveals. This is what the cross expresses. The seeking grace of God prompted by his great pity, by his mercy for the lost. We're told in the parable of the sheep that when the shepherd has found the lost sheep, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders and when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, I have found the lost sheep. For the shepherd to leave 99 to find one seems somewhat excessive. You know, one dollar out of 100 isn't much. But for this shepherd, each individual sheep is of supreme worth. And this is a picture of how God views the lost soul. Even if his kingdom is 99% full, he won't rest till the one sheep is found and brought home. The safe possession of the 99 is not a substitute for the one that's still lost. And in the same way, we as Christ's disciples should not rest while there's lost people around us. We too, if we are followers of Christ, should have his heart and we should be ready to leave our comfort zones and befriend and love and rescue the lost so that they might be found. This parable is a story about the love of God and his relentless pursuit of us. A chorus we sing here often, we've sang it the last year several times, says this, he says, when I was your foe, still your love fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so, so kind to me. There's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down coming after me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down flights till I am found, leaves the 99. I couldn't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, restless love of God. The message of the parable of the lost sheep is that God loves sinners. And then when sheep are lost, he'll go to any lengths to find them and bring them home. Christmas is a story of God's love for us and to what extents God will go to save us. God so loved the world, we're told, that he gave his one and only son, and whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God, so to speak, put his son on the plane. Jesus willingly got on the plane that he knew would take his life in order to to save you. And if you haven't discovered Jesus yet, if you feel distant from God, you feel alienated from you, him, if so, understand you have created the distance. 
You have withdrawn. You're the one who's wandered. And with God in Christ, there's an open heart, an open invitation, open arms. Let him bring you home. Receive the gift of Christmas. Quit holding God at arm's length and quit resisting his incredible love for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we pause to think about the fact that on Christmas you gave the best gift that could ever be given. It was a costly gift, an extremely costly gift, the gift of your son. We pray that those of us who have already received that gift, that we would cherish it and not become so familiar with it that it loses its significance to us. That we would understand the great privilege we've been given and may it give us a passion to share the news with those around us. And for those here this morning who have not yet discovered the God of love, who have been running from him and holding him at arm's length, Lord, may they stop and receive what Christ has to give for them this Christmas day. Wouldn't it be wonderful, Lord, if somebody here this morning gave their heart to you? It makes the whole story worth it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you are blessed by the message today. Follow us on social media to keep up to date with church news and events.